Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners. Welcome to Passion Harvest, where we aim to inspire you to live a passionate life. I'm Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. And if you like this episode, please do subscribe. I have an awesome, passionate, exciting guest today, Peter Woodbury. Peter is a specialist in the field of Edgar Cayce. I'm really excited about this one. Peter learned about Edgar Cayce while he was in college and moved to become part of the Edgar Cayce organization, the Association for Research and Enlightenment. Peter attended Harvard University and majored in psychology. He subsequently attended Boston University School of Social Work and obtained a master's degree in social work. Peter enjoyed a successful career in the Boston area as a psychotherapist and faculty member of Boston University School of Social Work. Peter is one of the AREs, the Association for Research and Enlightenment, such a great name, most popular speakers teaching life coaching and past life regression hypnosis. He travels extensively teaching on behalf of the Casey work. Peter also leads spiritual tours for the ARE. And in 2019, he, he is co-leading that was last year, a tour to Peru with shaman Juan de Dios. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Peter has become mm-hmm. one of the world's most prolific regressionists, having conducted over 5,000 regression sessions and about 350 regressions a year. He also hosts the Casey organization TV shows, Reflection, The Wisdom of Edgar Casey, and writes a column for Venture Inward and the Membership Magazine. Additionally, he makes time to portray Edgar Casey in an extremely popular one-man show titled An Evening with Edgar Casey." That sounds interesting. This is his story and this is his mm-hmm. passion. Peter, welcome to Passion Harvest. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I, I think everyone knows Edgar Casey, or maybe not. But just if, if you don't mind starting for those that potentially haven't heard of you, and I saw a, a, a talk that Peter gave last night on suffering, which was absolutely amazing and i'll put the links in the show notes but peter if you don't mind just doing a bit of a background of you and who you are and pivotal moments in your life just a brief summary for our audience sure i'll just let uh, your listeners know i'm i'm in virginia beach right now about 10 blocks from the edgar casey center the are but we're having a terrific uh, thunderstorm passing through so you may hear uh the rolling the claps of thunder and the uh the flashes of lightning as we go about. Um, so, so this is Edgar an extra Casey, energy charged uh, interview, by the way, <laughs> just to add. Yeah, very, very dynamic, very yeah. dynamic. Um, Edgar Casey, uh, you know, it's hard to define exactly. He was a, a psychic, but he, he's like a philosopher too. I mean, he's, he's basically learned how to put his conscious ego self aside and become almost like a trance channel. So through hypnosis, he was able to access different levels of consciousness, and he answered people's questions. He was mostly known for his readings about health. So they actually started a hospital here in Virginia Beach, where basically he could go into a trance, altered state of consciousness. 
he could scan a person's body and he could tell you what the problems were. And then he also looked at the physical body and also he's considered one of the forerunners of holistic medicine because he was talking about the mind-body-spirit connection in the 1900s. Mm -hmm. um, and he gave readings on 10,000 different subjects, which they have a, a library which houses these readings, as they're called. And um, he, in the waking state, he was a very psychically gifted individual, but it was through, he lost his voice when he was about 19 or 20 years old. And he lost his voice for about nine months. And they tried all kinds of things to find out the, how to cure it. And one of them was hypnosis. And in a deep trance, he began to talk about what the condition was, which was psychological. And he was given instructions or this kind of channeled part of him gave instructions to the, the hypnotist on telling him to return the blood flow to his throat to normal conditions. Anyway, his first reading was actually for himself and it was very successful. So he started doing these for other people. And that became what he did for most of his adult life. He gave about two or three of these readings a day. Fascinating. And he's also called the sleeping prophet because he was in a sleeping state. Is that correct? While he was. Yes. Yes. He, he, he would joke. He would say he gave over 14,000 readings and he never heard one of them because he was in a, <laughs> A sleep state, a trance state. So he had no memory of the readings? No. One of them was recorded. So he had one, so he did hear one reading, but he didn't, he wouldn't hear it live. He would often, they said he would wake up and he'd ask if they got anything. And he may have been speaking for 45 minutes or an hour and he would wake up with no recall. Sometimes he would wake up and he would have even had a dream, like as if he, a part of him was sleeping and dreaming and another part of him was this, uh, sort of trance channel. And who, who, I mean, who was he channeling? Well, that's the thing. He wasn't really channeling an entity. He, he talked about universal sources. So it seems that he could somehow access very high levels of, of consciousness. Now, they were asked specific questions about particular types of readings that he gave. And he said when he was giving a health reading, that he was actually reading the individual's unconscious mind. So if you got a reading from Edgar Casey, he could in trance access your subconscious mind. And in your subconscious mind is all the information about your health. And then from there, somehow he would correlate that with what the treatment could be. So I don't think the treatment for the condition was from the subconscious mind. Your condition was, and then somehow he could tap into universal sources that would guide him on how to, uh, the recommendations for treatment for an individual. But then he would give other readings where the, the main readings he gave were life readings. I mean, a health readings and life readings. And for a life reading, he accessed something that he called the Akashic Records. In the Akashic Records, he said, was a, a kind of library of our lifetimes. And so each moment that passes is somehow filmed on this ether, which is a Sanskrit, uh, in Sanskrit, um, Akasha means this ether. And in the trance state, he was able to, to read a person's uh, Akashic record, which sometimes it's called God's Book of Remembrance. It's apparently we all have this, uh, this record of our past experiences. Most of us can do that ourselves, but at that time, Edgar Casey's time, most people weren't really um, working with altered states or trance states. So he was doing it for people. 
Yes, the Akashic Records are very interesting. Look, it's, it's a very popular subject at the moment. It's, people call yeah. it a, the past, present and future blueprint of your soul, if, if that's the correct yeah. terminology to use. Yes. I, I think, for example, I think this moment right now is recorded in the Akashic Record. And I think when you, when you remember, let's say you remember something that happened yesterday, or you remember something from childhood, I think that's also recorded in the Akashic Records. But the thing is, is that we, we associate our personal memory of this life Tongue as being nice. part of us. But I, when I do regressions, people tap into the Akashic Record that's more in the subconscious mind. So sometimes it takes people to get a little bit of a hang because the way you remember something in this life is very similar to how you remember something from the past life. You just don't necessarily have the, you, you tend to think it's made up since you don't have a, a reference point. Like, like the first time that I ever did a regression by myself, I saw a man on a very old ship. And my first thought was, did I see a Christopher Columbus movie recently? Like, mm-hmm. why am I seeing this guy on the ship? But I eventually said that this man was the purser of the ship. And I'd never used that word as Peter. I didn't know what that meant. But that helped me suspend my disbelief and, and learn that I was basically getting something from my unconscious uh, past life Akashic records. Oh my God, this conversation is getting more and more exciting. I just want to <laughs> <laughs> ask you... and. Your opinion, it's the future already in the Akashic Records. As we call it. That's a very good question. You know, we we think as time and a linear construct, is there, there's two questions. Is there the most likely probability or is it already set? That's a great question. You know, Edgar Cayce had a dream about the future. And when he was asked about it, when he woke up, you know, they said, you know, is that, is that real? And he said that, that all time is one and there's no, really, there's no such thing as past and future. It's all one time, which is a very strange idea to think that this moment now and what we think of as the future and the past are all one. Um, I've had clients come to see me who travel into the future, have an experience in the future. And I've had people that have gone from now into the Akashic records and kind of tinkered with it and kind of change their Akashic records in order to change something in the now. So I think that somehow there's, it's not the way that, the way that we think of time here is very, it's almost like limiting. It limits our, our way of understanding real time. And so to, to think that, that somehow the future and the past are all dynamic is very, uh, you know, it's like the, the, the future is just as changeable as the past is <laughs> in a weird sort of way. I completely get it. Cause I've, I've had future memories as well, but it, I think it's also about perception. You can change your perception of the past. I, I liken yeah. it to um, a friend of mine said once, good, good luck with your interview. And it made me think because I mean, I believe we're talking in the past now because I don't, I, I said to her, I don't need luck cause it's already done. Even though I hadn't, done the interview yet i didn't need luck because it was already completed in my mind right which is yeah. kind of another bizarre thing as well. well well sometimes i think of like like if if you see my hand like this it looks like i have like one finger but if i turn it to the side you see i have five fingers so you could say this is the way we experience life this is now 
and this is a past life, and this would be a future life. But if we turn it on its side, if we have a different perspective, it's all one. They're all kind of coexisting. So I think there's something about the dimensionality of time that we don't fully understand here. And to be honest with you, I think that sometimes it's, it's not as relevant because I think that what really matters is what we're doing right now. Like I think that, you know, if there's multiple universes and there's multiple selves, you know, they need to take care of themselves. I mean, I think that we have a consciousness that's here mm -hmm. and I think we're here to do certain growth, certain work. We're here to heal certain things and learn certain things and forgive certain things. And so I think that, yeah, I, I enjoy talking about all this stuff, but sometimes I think that it, we can't get too impractical. And, and, you know, I think a lot of life is just kind of putting one foot in front of the other dealing with the, the people that in your life that are pains in the neck and figuring out how to, how to heal those relationships. Like, I think that's the real work of our lives. Yes. And I've just got to touch on one more <laughs> thing <laughs> before we move on. <laughs> so um, other lives or past lives, whatever you would like to call them, they're all happening consecutively because everything's now. Is that what yeah. I'm hearing? In yes. some sort of strange way. And, and in some sort of strange way, they're, they're, they're connected. You know, sometimes I wonder, maybe this conversation right now is in the Akashic Records. Maybe, maybe we're 10 lifetimes from now and we're revisiting this moment. Maybe the interview didn't go as well as we wanted. And so we're redoing the interview in the Akashic Records to get it just right. And it's going to have a really big impact in our future. So I, I just, I don't even... I think the Akashic record is so alive and so dynamic. I don't think we can tell when we're in the Akashic record or, or when we're, when we're in actual time, somehow it's all, it's all connected and it's all one. I, love I mean, sometimes that. in dreams, we, we connect to, we connect to different uh, aspects of the oneness. If I had twilight zone music, I'd probably play it now. I, lo I love that analogy. Um, <laughs> and what is real? I mean, you know, am I, am I actually really, he talking to you now? Yes. I sometimes say that reality is so consciousness based. You know, it's like when I do regression, people want to know, is that real? Is that real? And I go, who knows what's real? You know, right now, is this real? Or when we go to sleep and dream, is that real? Or before we're born in soul, is that real? So I think that reality is just depends where you are at the moment. That's, that's, the, that's the center of your reality. Like it's like, a, it's like a stations on a radio. You know, right now we're on Earth 109, and then we go to Dreamland 207, and then we go to Soul 605. All these are different, different uh, dials or different realities that we can tune into at different times in our existence. That's really interesting, and I'd, a perfect segue into regression therapy, but I just wanted to ask you, we do create our reality, and we live in a hologram, so everything is a reflection of our thoughts, words, and beliefs. Mm -hmm. that's what I feel um, so your yes. regression therapy it's fascinating and I don't know much about it to be honest so I'd love to hear about it and what you do and sure the great success um, you've had well for it. example yeah when when people would go to Edgar Casey, he would be able to remind them or he would he would point out three or four lifetimes that they had had and the influence that it had on this life and so it's great to kind of have Edgar Casey around but I think what's really going on with the new age is that kind of in the previous age, like there were the, the teachers were outside of us. So, 
So people would, let's say, go to Jesus and they'd be sick or they'd be dead or whatever. And Jesus would do all the heavy lifting. You just had to show up. And then with Edgar Casey, you would show up sick and then he wouldn't heal you like Jesus would, but he gave you the instruction. There still was something outside of you. And I think the new age is really that we're accessing Jesus or God within directly. And I look at regressions as a way of teaching people how to be Jesus or how to be Edgar Casey, figure out how they can access their own subconscious mind or their higher self and, um, you know, not, not become dependent on anybody else outside of themselves. And so the work that I've done, people are able to remember past lives that help them navigate or negotiate relationships that they're having currently. Sometimes people contact their guides and their guides give them instructions or help about what they've come in this lifetime to work on and how they're doing. Sometimes people contact the deceased, like in a kind of a mediumistic way. And then sometimes people get um, kind of really direct answers to their questions. So when I first started doing the work, it was really past life regression. Like everybody who came to see me would get past lives. And then at one point it started to change and I tried to understand what was going on. And I think that it's almost like a doctor, like you, you're first, you're kind of learning how to be a doctor and then you specialize in, you know, oncology or psychiatry. And I think that regressionists start to specialize. And so I started off like a general past life regressionist. And now I've moved into my specialty really is helping people encounter their guides. Because I think what seems to happen is before we're born, we pick this council, like, like the way that we would, you know, as above, so below. It's like every company has a CEO and every CEO has a board of directors. And so your guides are like your board of directors and you're like the CEO of your life. And then the corporation is kind of your family and your workplace and all those uh, sorts of people. So every night we're consulting with our board of directors, which I call the council. So we pick that group and they help us throughout our life to remind us of the, the tasks that we're here to achieve. And so people in um, a trance state can begin to contact their counsel or their guides. And it's oftentimes very, very helpful. What's, what's very useful about a, a regression, what I've learned is that you, you have a dual state of consciousness. So so I, the way I say it is that a part of you is not hypnotized and a part of you is hypnotized. So in this way, you're able to integrate soul or subconscious information into the conscious mind. Like, for example, I, had a, I have a sister, um, and for some reason, I never trusted her, older sister. She never did anything to me. Yeah. I just always kept her at a arm's length. And then when I went to a training, I went to the Brian Weiss training, I saw myself being uh, at a monastery learning how to be a priest. I didn't like it at all. And so the person regressing me said, well, how did you get here? And then I saw myself being put up for adoption. And I saw that the person, my mother in that life was my sister in this life. And so I said, oh, no wonder I don't trust her because I was so angry and resentful that she had left me at this orphanage. But in the trance state, I was, I was able to watch the scene and so I was able to then move into the consciousness of my sister. And I was able to see that she didn't want to, it was nothing personal. She had 12 kids that couldn't feed all of them. And this was Ireland. So it was happening to other children, not just me. And so I was able to integrate all of these experiences. And so when I came out of the regression, I realized that I had to, uh, 
you know, that I, I kind of forgave my sister without even knowing that I held something against her. And immediately I reached out to her and we kind of patched some things up. She didn't believe in regression in past lives, so I didn't really tell her what was going on. But my energy completely shifted in the uh, relationship. So that's how I mean that I was observing what was happening at the same time that I was seeing myself as the little boy. So I've learned that I think our injuries happen because we think of ourselves as separate, but the healing happens when we can go into the oneness. By the oneness, I mean I could feel my sister's feelings. I could feel my feelings as the little boy. I could also understand the context of Ireland, that this was just a period of history. And in that understanding came, you could say it came for forgiveness came. And in a way, what it's implying is that the opposite of forgiveness, judgment, or condemnation, it just comes from a lack of understanding. It's this belief that we're separate. Because once we go into the collective, forgiveness is really just like, like condemnation just disappears. You know, mm-hmm. if, I, if I realize that the person that has been haunting me all my life, if I realize really that's just been me, it's like, oh, okay, you know, do we think some, I guess sometimes we have to forgive ourselves. But that's just some of um, what I've learned through yeah, doing. It, 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 um, it's it's very, it's, it's very interesting. It's almost like, it's almost like um, when I speak to near death experiences, it's almost like a life review. So seeing your life from the perspective of others. Yeah. It's not a judgment. It's just seeing how they, they would see you. And I love yeah. I, 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 I inter- say, uh, oh, go ahead. No, no, I'm just interested sorry, sorry. in the guides. I just wanted to ask about that. I'm often asked, do I, have a, do I have a guide? How do I connect with my guides? Are we all born with guides? How many do I have? Are they deceased ancestors? <laughs> that's a lot of questions all in one. <laughs> so just no, feel no, free sorry. to answer however you the, want. The, sure, well, guides have become like my specialty, so I have a lot of answers. I think that um, what happens when we come in is we take our guides and it's like we have like a, a lead guide which is oftentimes called like the guardian angel. So we have a kind of a lead guide and then we have about six or eight, you know, the numbers, you know, I haven't ever counted them, but they have at least, it seems like six or eight guides. And then as you go about your life, sometimes your guides, they may re they may incarnate. So just the, the, the guides that you have at the beginning of your life and at the end of the life might not, might not be, might not all be the same uh, souls. And also you may have a loved one, you come in and your grandmother, your grandfather, your partner, when they pass away, sometimes they join your council also. So your guide system is very, uh, is very fluid. And then also as you go about your life and as you pick up tasks, let's say you might come in, like for me, I came in and I was going to get involved with psychology, but I found my way to doing regressions. And so there's a council or there are guides that particularly work with uh, tasks that we pick up. If you decide you're going to write a book or be, play music or art, whatever you may choose during that lifetime, as you pick up tasks, those guides join you as well. So the, the guide level, it's, it's a lot like a board of directors. They come and they go. And sometimes there's mergers, like a lot of times with partnerships. Sometimes the partners are getting along, but the, the councils don't get along, especially if they're oh, wow. not the same kind of ideals. And so partnerships have to have a harmony, like the, the, the boards have to merge in a way. And so sometimes there's some tension and some conflict in that uh, process. Well, then I just have to ask you the question, if we're talking about souls and guides, and you're just, you just mentioned partnerships, and I'm thinking relationships. Yeah. 
do is there such a thing as soulmates yes i mean i think that there's there's lots of different definitions of soulmates and twin souls and so i'm not going to say i which one is right or which one mm -hmm. but i follow the casey edgar casey one and edgar casey would basically say that you know the story of the princess and the pea that's oh, the really pea under the mattress right yes that's really edgar casey's story of soulmates it's basically that the, the, the prince or the princess, it's like they keep meeting partner after partner who they just don't connect with. But finally one wakes up and they're kind of really, they've been disturbed by the P and then they, they connect. I always wondered as a kid, why, why are the ones that wake up fine, they're just ushered away, but this one that can't sleep and is really grouchy because of the P, that's the soulmate. And the, there's a lot of symbology because all the mattresses, the hundred mattresses or like a hundred lifetimes ago, a pee, something from the past occurred that is subconsciously triggered. And we're drawn to each other because we have some patterns or we have some stuff to work out. So there's always, I, some people call it chemistry. I call it karmistry that we're drawn to people in some ways to complete something either with that person or with a pattern. So a soulmate ha is an electrically charged relationship. Now a twin soul is it's like your brother or your sister or your mother or your father, somebody that you feel a real affinity towards, but it's not necessarily a sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. It's more like I sometimes say, you call your twin soul when you're having problems with your soulmate. <laughs> oh, that's a good, that's, I love that one. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, your girlfriend, or you know, you say, "Oh my God, I, this he's driving me crazy, or she's driving me crazy." That's the, the one that's really driving you crazy is the soulmate, but the one who gives you unconditional love and support is usually the twin soul. Beautiful. I just wanted that. I I love that. I love that. I'm going to re-listen to that. By the way, <laughs> I just want to ask uh -huh. you, and it's happened to me before. If I've seen, I don't know, past lives or other lives, you mentioned you saw your sister when you were in Ireland at the orphanage. She yeah. didn't look like she did now she was um you were familiar with her energy or her soul you didn't actually see your sister what she you know, looks like in this it's lifetime a, it's a good question all all i really remember is that i was this little boy and i had my little suitcase and i was totally angry and afraid being dropped off at this place and i remember looking over at my parents and i don't think i recognized them physically but i just knew that this mother was my sister so it wasn't, I don't remember how she looked, but I just recognized immediately that this was my, uh, that the mother in that lifetime was my sister in this lifetime. Interesting. Okay, mm -hmm. well, that's going to segue me on to, <laughs> sorry. It, it showed for me, uh, as a boy, I used to have uh, terrible separation anxiety. So when my actual mother would drop me off at daycare, I remember completely freaking out. I remember I must have been, I don't know, six years old or younger. And I would look at the, out the window and I would see my mother driving off as if I would never see her again. No, I realized afterwards, mm -hmm. I'd say, no wonder, because I had a past life. I thought, okay, this is it. You know, you get to spend your first six years with your mom. And now this is the orphanage. The thing is, by the time my mom would pick me up, I would be fine. But the next day it would repeat like Groundhog's Day for like, oh, I don't terrible. remember how long it lasted. But now I, I said, oh, no wonder I had that. I think a lot of times these unconscious issues that we have, 
they're related to past life stuff. Like a lot of abandonment issues that people have, it's not necessarily originating from this life. So that's one of the benefits that you get from looking. You see, I, my parents were psychiatrists, so I did a lot of talk psychotherapy. And I think talk psychotherapy is wonderful. It's really helpful. But there's so many things that are unconscious. Like I could have done talk therapy forever. I would have never understood the issues with my sister. It's because it came from a past life. It was, in the, it was deeper in the subconscious. It wouldn't have come up through talk therapy. So that's one of the... I'm not trying to put down talk therapy, but I think that past life therapy is very much uh, an additional tool to help people understand stubborn patterns that they have, addiction patterns or um, abandonment issues, anxiety, depression, these sorts of things. Yes. Some of it is seeded. Sometimes we can relate it to childhood, but a lot of times as a psychotherapist before I became a regressionist, and a lot of people would feel so frustrated. They'd say, God, this happened in childhood. How come I can't get over it? It's just been years. You know, it's so, and it's helped me to help clients to understand that this issue sometimes is multiple lifetimes, not even one lifetime. Sometimes we have 10 lifetimes trying to work through the same pattern. Mm. So do you work remotely or only in person? No, I'm, I used to work predominantly in person, but with the, you know, the situation the that we're going through, I do, now I do mostly over Zoom. And just say, I, just say I, I, I booked a session with you. What, what, what do I do? Lie down on a couch? I don't know. I'm just asking. <laughs> well, there, there's a couple of things that I require. The first thing is I require that everybody wear a, a headset or like earbuds because people start to talk really softly and the microphone helps me hear them the entire time. And then it's nice for them to get comfortable but whatever they do, I still need to see their face. So they can recline, but I need to see the, the face gives me a lot of information about the level of trance that a person is in. It also helps me see emotion and helps me to, uh, you know, to help them, to guide them through an experience. So that's, uh, I, at first I was skeptical about working remotely. I started doing it because I was teaching and you have, you know, I teach somebody who lives in a small town and they basically, in person, they regress the barber and the postman, and then there's nobody left. And so they have to work over, over something like Zoom. And I started doing them, and they're very, very fruitful because um, to have a regression, you have to feel safe. You have to feel comfortable. And so when people are in their own house, they feel very safe and very comfortable for the most part. And then also the, 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 the headsets go into both ears, and so you get bicameral stimulation you can control the volume or the person can control the volume so they can hear me just the way that they want to. And then also it drowns out all the other sound. So sometimes I'll hear the dog bark or the phone ring, but because they have the headset on, they don't hear that. So it's, it's been very successful. So I would, if you were to do a session with me, I would send you a set of instructions, things you would need to do. And then basically we would meet like we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. This would be pretty much the exact same <laughs> format. Interesting. Sorry. Yeah, it takes about two hours. It okay. takes about two hours, and the fee is 250 US at this time. Might, okay. It might go up in a, you know, so get your session now. Get your session now. <laughs> Sounds really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just wanted to also, I mean, I've got a lot of things to talk to you about, but karma. What, what, I know you talk a lot about this. What is karma? Do we have karma? Does it continue? How do we get rid of our karma? 
Well, karma is just a, it's a spiritual law. It's basically you reap what you sow. And so basically the, the, the situations that are occurring in your life, you're better off if you don't feel that you're a victim, that, you, that whatever is happening in your life is either karmic or choice. So a lot of times we're, we're confronting challenges, but we're, we're, they're in our lives because we've chosen them so that we can learn and grow. And sometimes maybe we're, we're meeting conditions that we have uh, created in the past. So the best thing to do with the situations in your life is to try to apply spiritual laws to work through them. And so the, the, the most important spiritual law is forgiveness, to try to figure out some way to let go of a grudge or a resentment that we have. And it's not easy. It's a process to work this, this out. But that's basically, we, we reincarnate because of non, acting non-spiritually. And the way to kind of figure, you know, the way to graduate from the school of earth is to become acting more from spiritual law, which is more from oneness, more from compassion. And love. Yes. So in regards to graduation, do we ever graduate or do we continually reincarnating to learn more and more lessons? Well, I have to tell you that I think earth is definitely a school and there is a graduation part, a process, but you and I might be faculty. So I don't think some of us might not be going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> I always say that every school has faculty. So yes, there's, there, we're here, we're, we're working through patterns. We're, we're learning how to act spiritually while we're in a physical consciousness. So it's very hard to act from oneness when you see yourself as so separate. Like if, if you look with your physical eyes, you know, you, you're there, I'm here, we're different genders, we have all kinds of differences. But if we close our eyes, we start to feel the connection, we start to feel a oneness. And basically, if we can start to act as if we're brothers and sisters, so even if you're mean, even if you're nasty or whatever, whatever you bring up, it's if I see you as, oh, this is my sister and she's having a really rough day or she's having a really rough life. Let me not judge her. Let me just try to figure out what she's so upset about. Let me try to not make this worse. So when we start to think of each other that way, ultimately then you don't really need to reincarnate because you've, you've come back to the consciousness from which you've come. I mean, we all came from oneness. We came into this place to experience separation. And we're trying to learn how to act from oneness again. And I think Buddha and Jesus and all the great teachers, they're, they're giving us an example of how you live in a physical body and act as if everybody's a brother and a sister. Compassion's a big one. And I also think in some way serving others. So doing good for others. I think it's a, it's a very important aspect of our lives. Yes. And I think like, what's his name? That, that teacher. Um, Jesus. Uh, Indian teacher. <laughs> Well, there's an Indian teacher. They said, well, how should we treat others? And he said, well, there are no others. Oh, <laughs> I, all, I don't know that, one. that one. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. My other question. You know, it's, I'm, I'm certainly not there. I still, you know, the, if we can see God in every person, that's really great. But, you know, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I see people as jerks and I just want to, you know, you know, mad at them, things like that. So we're all, we're all in a process of, of working this stuff out. We, we are all human. Yes. It, it's hard but I, to... I've certainly over my life, I've learned how to be less reactive. I think meditation is so helpful. It gives you a pause. You know, somebody, 
somebody insults you and it's instinctive to insult back. But if you slow things down, somebody insults you and you can wait a little bit and then you can kind of say, well, what's, what's bothering you? Why are you so upset? Maybe we should talk later. All of that, that slowed down reaction, it prevents lifetimes of reincarnation and karma. Absolutely. It's how it's we react somebody to situations. Says, yeah, somebody says, screw you. It's natural to say, screw you back. You know, then we're in a karmic dance. But if somebody says, screw you, and we say, we take a pause and say, well, why don't we talk later? It seems like you're upset. Then we're not, we're not uh, falling into the mud with that individual. And I've yes. learned slowly to do that more and more in my lifetime. I'm still learning. No, I'm getting much better, but I'm still learning. <laughs> yeah, we all are. Yeah. Um, my question, and I, I guess you've answered it and everyone wants to know, but why do we forget when we're born, we forget all these other realities that we have had all these other lives is the process to try and remember in these lifetimes. I think it's, um, I think it's to get a fresh start. Like just imagine, uh, you know, let's say you've had a really rough past couple of lives. If you came in really remembering all that, you, you might have a, a leg down. So I think, uh, I think each lifetime is a fresh start, but then in the subconscious, you know, Edgar Casey said, karma, is actually soul memory. So you're going to remember things as you, you're going to feel them. So you're going to, you know, all of us have a, a recognition when we meet somebody. Sometimes we really like somebody off the bat or sometimes we don't like somebody. We just have a feeling. That's the, the unconscious soul memory, which is the karma. So as much as on one level, we don't remember cognitively, we remember emotionally. And that remembering emotionally is the past life influences. And then what we do with those feelings becomes whether we resolve the karma or whether we deepen it. And I guess that takes but me on people to... can remember people if they want to, they can remember. I, I you know, I've, I've remembered, I don't know, 20 or 30 past lives. It's been very, very helpful. Which is what the regression therapy does as well. Yes. And then you could, you know, I think that if parents are open like most children before their age seven have pretty clear recall of past lives, but oftentimes parents won't listen to them. So when a child tells their mother, I remember when I used to be your mom, or I remember when you and I were married, the parents might go, oh, that's really sweet and just poo poo it. But if a parent is open to it and has a conversation with them, they might learn a lot about it. For example, most of the uh, childhood memory research is done in countries where the parents believe in reincarnation. So let's say in India, when a child is talking about th something like this, the parents are more open to it. And so the children will have more, they'll, they'll talk more about it. But I think that a lot, a lot of, I remember when I was six and we visited Greece, I told my parents that I was from there. They didn't know what to do with it. They didn't believe in reincarnation, but that was always the story. They said, oh, Peter, when we went to Greece, he kept talking about he was how he was from there. And I remember I, now I know I had a past life, a significant past life in Greece. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Have you ever done a regression yourself? No, I haven't. But I have seen a few past oh. lives actually. Ah, but I would like to do one. Dreams? No, not in sure. dreams. When I meditate, in meditation. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. Some significant. So I, I would imagine you. I would imagine you've been in the past, you've been a teacher, you've been trying to 
be a spiritual guide or helping people develop and move along in spiritual consciousness like you're doing in this life. Yes. I mean, I can tell you about it if, if you want, but I, I'm interested in you today. <laughs> yeah. If you want sure, me to, sure, I will. Another time. Yeah. You know, you know I, I mean, I've got, I seem to have no secrets on this show anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> suffering. I watched a beautiful talk that you gave last night. As I said, I'll put it in the show notes on suffering. And why do we suffer? And it is beneficial. It's very hard when you're on your hands and knees in despair, whatever the situation might be suffering, but it is actually for our soul's growth. So I'd love you to talk more about that because it's something universally that we all as humans don't want. We all experience, but eventually we come out the end of it. A better, a better, more expanded human. Yeah. I started researching uh, suffering because I, I didn't feel that there was any, uh, I, I like to try to make um, complex subjects accessible to people. And I felt like suffering, it, it's like everything people had told me about why suffering is spiritual didn't really resonate with me. So I decided to try that out myself. And I, I don't think I did a terribly good job at it because it's still a bit of a difficult subject to understand. But the, the, in a nutshell, you did an excellent job, by the way. Excellent job. Oh, thank you. Well, in a nutshell, what I would say is that the the ego level and the soul level are very different. Your soul is the eternal consciousness and your ego was born the day you came here and it'll die off when you, your, your, your ego is like the leaf on the tree and your soul is the tree. And so when you plan this life, the ego has nothing to do with it. You're planning this life on a soul level. And so when you come in and you see all these people, these other souls in your family, on the ego level, you're like, what the heck? I've been trying to run away from these people for lifetimes. What are they doing here? So the ego gets mad because it wasn't part of the planning. But the soul level was like, you have to work through these issues and these patterns so that you can set them free. You have to address them. So sometimes I'll make a flip statement and I'll say that your soul comes into a lifetime to work. But your ego wants a pina colada in Barbados. Like your, your ego doesn't want any part of that stuff. So a lot of times I think that's why childhood is so laden with, um, with issues, with difficulties and challenges, because that way the ego doesn't, can't really escape. You have to deal with all of these people that are in your life. Now, another thing that's hard to, to accept is that on the soul level, a lifetime that's been full of trauma and difficulties and challenges is much more fruitful than a life that's been a walk in the park. So, so your soul wants to do the work. The ego doesn't. And so we think most of us want to be millionaires and just relax the whole lifetime. But for soul development, that's not very uh, rich. It's the challenging, overcoming obstacles, the difficulties that make for a very fruitful life. And so unfortunately it's through suffering that we, mo- we grow the most. If we don't accept the suffering in the lifetime, so for example, you know, terrible things, childhood abuse, if we don't accept and move through that in a lifetime, do we have to relive that in another life? You know, it's not really like one size fits all. And so, but, but in a basic kind of, if, if a child is coming into a family and they're being abused, there's a possibility 
that it's karmic, that they're, they're experiencing something that they've created from a past life. But that's not always the case. It could also be that that child wants to learn from this experience, that soul wants to learn from that experience, or also a soul wants to give love where they're being given uh, selfishness. And so a lot of very high souls come into these situations to try and protect the other siblings, also to try to help these parents work through this, uh, this toxic kind of um, pattern that they have. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of different possibilities that come up with this. Mm -hmm. But what I find very useful is that whatever situation you find yourself in, don't think of yourself as a victim. It's not useful to think of yourself as a victim. Think of it as you're either cho you've chosen a situation to learn from and to grow from, or perhaps you're meeting some karma. Sometimes we can't tell. We don't know if we're choosing something just for the growth of it or whether it's um, karmic. But let me tell you a, a story. I, I have two stories that relate to this, and you might I'd love remember you them from the talk. Yeah, you might remember it from the talk. I had a woman... Edgar Casey talks about how we pick our parents, that our parents are the optimal vehicle for an experience in a, in a lifetime. So this woman heard me say that, and she said, you know, she came for a private session, and she said, Peter, I want to understand why on earth I would have picked my parents. And she went in detail, very, very uh, toxic family situation. She said her parents were both addicts, they were abusive, her father killed himself when she was four. Her mother somehow maintained custody of the kids and continued to be toxic and abusive. Her two brothers later killed themselves. And so she, you know, she's kind of saying, why on earth would I pick these people? And she said, I've been through myself every kind of addiction. I've attempted suicide. It's a miracle that I'm even here. So why on earth would I pick that? And so, you know, I said, great question. So we did the session. She got into a pretty deep level of trance and she was able to encounter her guides. And um, she asked them, she said, why did I pick my parents? And the answer came back. They said, your father was very good looking and your mother was very, very intelligent and you wanted to be good looking and intelligent. I was shocked. And so was she. And so, you know, she said the answer that you might think, she said, are you kidding me? And then they said, yeah, we're, we're, you, they, they kind of laughed and they said, <laughs> you wanted to really grow and learn a lot in this lifetime and you really, really have. And so she was kind of shocked by that answer, you know, so it's that the growth was through the challenges that she faced and it wasn't because her life was easy. So sometimes let's say we go, let's say we get a PhD in physics and somebody decides to not do something easier. Even though the person who goes through the PhD in physics, it's a lot of work, but it's also a big accomplishment. And so sometimes our lifetimes where we have these big obstacles, it's a big accomplishment on the soul level to work it through and to work through the patterns. Another woman came to me with a similar situation with, with toxic parents. And she actually then had a very similar experience when she adopted a daughter. And so she said, I have a mother who doesn't love me. And now I have a daughter who doesn't love me. And I'm in this loveless sandwich. Why on earth would I pick that? And her guides told her that she wanted to learn um, and experience unconditional love. She wanted, as a soul, before being born, she wanted to learn how to give love where she wasn't receiving it. And so that's one of the highest uh, levels of spiritual development. 
So these are, this is the weird thing that goes on on the soul level. The ego level would say, this is nuts. Like who on earth would, would pick this? <laughs> I'm going to increase the light. I think it's getting a little dark. Yeah, I can see you. Good, good. Um, yeah, so those are, that's the stuff I do every day. I take people on these journeys and I learn so much. It's so, uh, it's so enriching. And then uh, if I have questions myself, the sessions kind of like when I was wanting to understand suffering, that's when I met these two women who wanted to understand their own suffering. So it's a very um, beautiful collaborative experience. Like I, I am so fortunate and I'm so blessed to be able to do this work and to learn every day from people's guides and the soul level of consciousness. It's really changed me. It's fantastic. And I'm sure that their understanding that their suffering was for a soul's growth provided them a lot of comfort for this lifetime and took them out of yes. that victim mentality, which wouldn't, otherwise they wouldn't yes. progress. It was a real like jaw dropping moment. It was a jaw dropping moment for me and for them to think of, wow. And then to understand how, how um, proud the guides are. You know, the, the guides, a lot of them have been incarnate. Like when I first met with my guides, I realized that I've been their guide before. So I've, sometimes I'm their guide and they come in. And so we kind of, we rotate it's almost amazing. Like in, in this role. But they understand that, that see, the, on the guide level, on the soul level, there's no time. So imagine, you know, when you go on vacation and you don't know what day it is, it's like you're just at peace because every day is sort of the same and it's all nice. It's where we come here that time gets chopped up. And it's almost like, like you go from this very still place and it's like going into a crazy city where everything's, and then as you go up, it gets still again. And so they're at that stillness level, but they have been to this place where things can be very, very chaotic. So they're very um, kind and forgiving. And they realize that in a lifetime, you're trying to do a few things. Like you're trying to just work on you know, it's like sometimes um, we get too uh, nitpicky with ourselves. We get too hard on ourselves. And your guides are never like that. Your guides are like, you know, you're doing this. It's about, you know, uh, one of the things I remember they said, it's, it's not the speed, it's the direction. It's about getting, once you're going in the right direction, even slow and steady gets you there. So it's almost like the guides every night, they try to remind you of the direction that you're trying to head in. And each day, you just try to make progress slowly and steadily in that, uh, in that direction. Yes, I, I love it. And it's changing your perception as well, which is what we touched on earlier, changing, changing your story. And you mm -hmm. can cha change your story. You can absolutely change your life. Mm -hmm. I, really, I really adhere to that. In the interest of time, Peter, is there something you'd like specific? I've asked all the questions, but is there something you'd specifically like to talk to the audience about? Um, well, and there's just, no time. Uh, I'm sorry, that was probably the wrong word. In the interest of this slow, progressive, beautiful sure. interview. <laughs> oh, well, I have a website, uh, peterwoodbury.com, and there's a lot of material there. It has links. I have a YouTube channel so people can find more of my lectures. I also do trainings. And so if people are interested in learning how to do regression, I offer those courses. I haven't been to Australia yet. Um, I taught in Europe one time. So there's always, do most of my training right now in the United States. 
But if you, if you look on my site, if you're interested and you want to contact me, you can certainly reach me through my website. And Peter, all your details will be in the show notes for anyone that's listening. All of those details, I'll put Good. the links for. Since this is a show about passion, if someone's looking to find their passion or follow their passion, that's two questions. What is your advice? Well, I think that um, there, there was this uh, famous uh, American teacher named uh, Houston Smith, and he would come to the ARE to talk. And I remember one time he said that one of the things that we most need as humans, you know, as, a, as the soul in this kind of three-dimensional body is a transcendent experiences. We need experiences that take us out of the mundane. And then he also said one of the most rare experiences for humans are transcendent experiences. And so we're, we're longing for transcendence, but it's so rare. Most of the day is doing laundry and filling out forms. You know, life can be rather tedious. And so I have found that with the doing regressions that people can have a transcendent experience and it's not so difficult. So I really encourage people. I think that sometimes we turn to drugs or we turn to other things to try to, to get out of the mundane. And I think that with the new age that there's, it's, it's never been easier to transcend the human experience, to enter into divine or higher levels of consciousness. So whether you do it with me or whether you try a, a tape, some effort to try to move past your finite consciousness and moving into your infinite consciousness, even through meditation, I think it's a, it's a great time. As much as ch the world is in a challenging condition right now, there's also opportunities. And I think that the, 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 the thinning of the veil to higher levels of consciousness, I really encourage people to, uh, to explore that for themselves. Great message. Peter Woodbury, thank you for being on Passion Harvest. I've loved it. It's been oh, so insightful. <laughs> I've loved it too. I feel like we just scratched the surface. I know we could go on for hours, but <laughs> yeah. well, maybe another maybe another episode down the track. Thank I you. Hope so. <laughs> thank you so much, Peter. You're very welcome. Bye. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.